Okay, so we will continue tonight with the uh, the uh, Perak Tzadi base in uh, in Tehillim. This is the Perak which we say following Lachadodi. This, for a period of time in Jewish history, was the Perak which was recited to mark the outset of uh, of Shabbos. Now that we say Lachadodi, so it may very well be that the end of Lachadodi is the formal beginning of Shabbos, in the event that it's not already Shkia, but we continue exploring this uh, this theme, and as we said, as we talked about the last week, as we were seeing the regular commentators together with the Malbim, so although the opening words are Mizmor Shili Yom HaShabbos, uh, the bulk of the theme revolves around our overall perception with how HaKadosh Baruch Hu runs the world, in terms of the righteous, uh, the wicked prospering, and the righteous perhaps suffering, in trying to make sense out of how Akash Baruch Hu, uh, actually runs the world. So we left off on uh, over here, and actually, what we're going to do is oh, actually, I didn't screen share yet, share screen yet. That'd probably be helpful for you guys. Okay, it's there. Yes, should be there. Okay, so uh, what we're going to do is is we are going to have to read a few psukim. We're going to read and translate a few psukim, and then we're going to go back and see the commentators, commentaries, because many of them uh, link together these next three or four psukim is part of one um, cohesive thought. So we want to make sure to understand, to get the uh, the full picture of that thought. So we'll read and translate the psukim, and then we'll go back and we'll start to to explain. So we pick it up from, um, I forget which pasuk it is, uh, number-wise, where we say, Ma gadlu masecha Hashem, how great are your works, Hashem, ma'od amku machshivosecha, how profound are your thoughts. And some of the things that you're going to want to keep in mind as we've seen um, throughout this parak and in other prakim as well, that the commentaries are very sensitive to the idea that um, David Melch doesn't simply wax poetic, and he just chooses different synonyms to uh, just because they're available, but he actually goes, um, uh, he chooses his words very precisely. So when there are similar ideas expressed, we're going to see this a lot at the beginning tonight, when there are similar ideas which are expressed in slightly different words, so each one of those words is going to have a slightly different connotation. So here, what we're going to keep track is, is Masecha. There is, on the one hand, Hashem's works. This is what Hashem does. And then the latter part of the Pasuk says, we talk about Hashem's thoughts. So we'll have to understand what are his deeds and what are his thoughts. And then it says, Ish Ba'ar, too far. Ish Bar Lo Yeda Lo Yavina Zos, that a, an empty headed man cannot know. So here you're going to have to keep track of what empty headed means. And it's going to be the word is Yeda is to know. And then you also have Uksil, which is a fool. So there's going to be a difference between somebody who's foolish and somebody who's empty headed. Lo yavin. We say he's not going to understand. So there's a difference between knowing and understanding and understanding. And what is it that's going to be so complicated? So we say that the next passage says, Bifroach Reshaim Kemo Esef, 
that as the wicked sprout like grass, and the evildoers are going to blossom. So here also, what we need to pay attention to is, is that there is on the one hand, in the first row, is the word rishayim, those who are wicked. And then in the second row, it says parley oven are those who are the evildoers. So what's the difference between a rasha and an evildoer? And it's also interesting just in terms of the imagery or the metaphor which Davin Amalch is choosing. So the Rishayim are going to be are going to sprout. Bifroach means to sprout like grass. And the evildoers, Vayatsitsu, is that they're going to blossom. So what's the difference between sprouting and blossoming? But ultimately it's going to be the third row is Lihishamdam Adeyat. Is that uh, that uh, ultimately they're going to be destroyed forever. So although there seems to be this sprouting in the blossoming of evildoers in the thing in the wickedness which they do, nonetheless, at the end of the day, they're going to be utterly destroyed, destroyed forever. And but you, Hakarish Marum Hashem, you are exalted forever. Okay, so we have this sequence of sukkim. I think it's one, two, three. I think maybe four psukim, which we have to go ahead and we have to explore together. Okay, so it begins with uh, the Magadu Masecha Hashem, Ma'od Amku Secha. So how great are your works, Hashem, and how profound are your thoughts. Uh, yeah, okay. So the first thing is over here we have a Radak. So the Radak says, explains, that kishani should be on the screen there. Kishani misbonen bahem. When I go ahead and I contemplate your works and your thoughts, I realize that they are vast, they are profound, and they are beyond my capacity to comprehend fully. That's going to be in terms of magadlu, which is the greatness of it. And then we say v'chein amku machshosecha. And at the same time, there's also going to be a depth to that thought. That HaKadosh Baruch Hu did not reveal, even to the wise people of the world, the difficult questions. Which exist in the world. When we ask the question, why did things unfold this way rather than that way? Why did it uh, flood on this side of the street and not on that side of the street? Why is this person wealthy and this person is not wealthy? Why does this person suffer from the illnesses and this person does not suffer from illnesses? All of those questions which we ask, so they are either so great that it's beyond our comprehension, or it's something which is so deep that we can't fully grasp the uh, the depth of it. And... Um, Yeah. Okay. So in on this, so the uh, the Malbim explains. He says, "Ma gadu Hashem." So the Malbim explains what is it that David Amalch is addressing over here, Mevar Hatam. So what David Amalch is trying to address over here is, Hashem Hakaso." Why does Hakadosh Baruch Hu seem to uh, conduct himself with two different approaches? Sometimes HaKadosh Baruch Hu manipulates things within nature, 
everything remains within nature, and that's how he goes about doing what he does. And sometimes he uses divine providence, meaning that he uses miraculous means to go ahead and bring about the outcome which he desires. And why is the world sort of run? And the Hakash Baruch Hu, uh, decided that he's not going to go ahead and run the world entirely based on Hashkacha Pratis. It would seem to be that it would be a much more uh, effective way for Akash Baruch Hu to bring the world to recognition of God and the Torah and the the privilege of doing mitzvahs. If there was, if we saw Hashkacha Pratis uh, surrounding us everywhere we went. And yet, for some reason, Akash Baruch Hu made the executive decision that he's not going to run the world that way. And he says, and in fact, and Akash Baruch Hu concealed himself so well within the world, you thought finding Waldo was hard. Go ahead and try and find Hakarish Baruch Hu in the world. So when Hakarish Baruch Hu concealed himself so well within the universe, there, there are many people who think that there is no God, that the world just runs according to laws of nature, and that there's no way to go ahead and manipulate it, nothing ever changes it, whatever your circumstances are, what they are. And the reason why, the Malbim says, that Davon Melch is explaining, the reason why HaKash Baruch Hu structured the world in such a way is, because, and we've talked about this many times, Shem Manish HaRasha Tegef, in the event HaKash Baruch Hu were to punish the wicked person immediately after, as soon as they bite into that double bacon cheeseburger, if a lightning bolt were to come down and zap them out of existence, in the entire world were to be run based on this overt and clear um, reward and punishment type of standard, where doing mitzvahs gets you an immediate lollipop and doing averas gets you an immediate lightning bolt. So then everybody would immediately, all that has to happen is the kid sitting next to you in class speaks out of turn and a lightning bolt and zaps them out of existence. And then you're going to realize, you know what? I'm not going to talk out of turn anymore. doesn't take much effort to uh, to absorb that uh, that lesson. And that is going to take away one's Bechira because as soon as one sees immediately the negative impact of sin, negative consequence of sinning, so nobody, you'd have to be crazy to go ahead and sin. And people would refrain from sinning. And therefore, Akash Baruch Hu specifically does not run the world based on a purely hashgacha approach, but he mixes it up. Sometimes it's within teva, sometimes it's within nature, and other times it's going to be based on hashgacha. Vizesh Amar, and this is what David Amelch means to express when he says, Masecha hativim hasedurim hem gadu. That when we talk about Masecha, we talked about the difference between his actions and his thoughts. Those were the words in the in the Pasuk. So he said that his actions are, those are HaKadosh Baruch Hu working within the parameters of nature. And that is very vast and gr- very great. But when Davon HaMelech goes ahead and expresses that God's thoughts are very deep, his actions are very great, but his thoughts are very deep. What is David Amalch addressing when he talks about the depth of God's thoughts? That's talking about how a Baruch Hu is able to go ahead and do things 
in with uh, with uh, divine providence in order to bring about the uh, his desired result. Even though he is clearly manipulating things and he's moving the pieces and he's bringing about the desired result, nonetheless, he is uh, hidden away and you're not going to be able to point to him and say, aha, because he did this mitzvah, that's why he got that reward. Or because he did that aveira, that's why he was punished. We, HaKadosh Baruch Hu did not structure a world and doesn't run a world where it's going to be so neat and clean to explain things like that. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is always going to be hidden regardless of whether or not things are following the natural way of things or whether things are following the way of Hashkach HaPratis. And along those lines... So David Amalek continues, and he says, Ish bar lo yeda. So as he said, the empty-headed one cannot know, and uksil lo yavinezos, and the fool will not be able to understand. So here we have a lot which is going on over here. And he says, the first thing is, is we have from the, the Malbim in his explanation of the words. So first thing is, he explains the difference between the empty-headed one and the fool. How do we differentiate between the empty-headed one and the fool? They can't even differentiate for themselves, but we have to differentiate for them. Tell, tell them apart. So the Malbim says, There's a difference between somebody who's empty-headed and somebody who's a fool. The word bar refers to a person who is very physical. His animalistic side is what dominates his existence. A ksil, a fool, is somebody who has the capacity to understand, so he has an intellect. Uh, but sometimes he doesn't use his wisdom to guide his behavior. He like puts it out uh, to, on, on pause or gives it a coffee break for uh, a day, a week, a month, a year, a decade, or in his entire adult life. Because of his yearnings, his desires, and the wickedness, and that goes ahead and leads him to behave in a way which seemingly is a foolish manner of behavior. But it's not foolish in the sense that the person can't do any better. The person does have the intellectual capacity to do better, but he's letting his um, his desire for things uh, get the best of him. As opposed to the bar, the bar is lacking the capacity to be able to intellectualize things in the first place anyways. So we can't blame him for being foolish because he can't. he's not even smart enough to be foolish. So that is number one. And then the next thing the Malbim explains is, There's also going to be a difference between knowledge and understanding. So that was another, The foolish one doesn't know. In the seal, uh, and sorry, the empty-headed one doesn't know, and the foolish person doesn't understand. Uksil lo yavin. He says that the term yedia, knowledge of something, is something that you're going to be able to sense with your senses. You could feel something, you could feel the heat, you could taste something, you could hear something, you could see something. So that is sort of what we would say is... I always forget the word. Um, it's tangible knowledge. It's a empirical knowledge. So empirical knowledge is something that's yidea. So you know it because you experience it. So that doesn't take much to be able to know that it exists because you experience it. But vahabina, 
But when we talk about understanding, so that's not something which is empirical evidence. Understanding is that is through deductive reasoning and inductive reasoning and extrapolation and inferences. That's something which requires bina. That's a higher level of understanding than just being able to see things for what they are. And that also is the uh, is a malbus. So when we say ish bar lo yeda, the most that we can ever expect from the empty-headed one who doesn't really have much intellectual capacity in the first place, anyways, is he still experiences the world, but only on a very physical plane through his empirical knowledge of things. But the fool, the seal, who does have the intellectual capacity, lo yavin. So he struggles to understand. He does have the capacity to understand. He does have the the ability to extrapolate and infer one from the other. But nonetheless, even he is going to struggle. And what exactly is he going to struggle with? So we say that lo yavin ezos. He doesn't understand this. That's what the end of the Pasuk says, right? It says, uksil lo yavin ezos. So what exactly is it that he doesn't understand? So here, the Malbim says that this Pasuk, this, the bar lo yedo uksil lo yavin, he says, He says, this pasuk which focuses on what the empty-headed one or the foolish one is not going to be able to uh, understand or grasp, that could either be referring to what the previous pasuk talked about, or it could be referring to what the subsequent pasuk talked about. Now, we'll go through each one. Lamala, if we say that the empty-headed one and the fool doesn't understand what was said previously, means it means that the the greatness of God's works and the depth of his thought, this is something that the Ba'ar and the Ksil, the empty-headed one, and the fool are never going to be able to wrap their heads around. He says they're never going to be able to understand God's ways. Why it is that God is sometimes within Teva and sometimes this Hashkacha Pratis in the different ways by which that's going to go. So the, there's no way he's going to understand that. Masha to be able to know exactly what you are what you are doing. So that is one way to understand these psukim, that the full and the empty-headed one won't understand the greatness of the Maisim or the depth of the Mahshava. Or alternatively, the Malbim says, we'll read this in the next note, that what the empty-headed one in the fool cannot grasp is the subsequent pasuk, which is, that though the wicked sprout like grass, and all the evildoers blossom, so what they struggle to understand is why it is that evil, bad people seem to prosper in this world. And this is what the Malbim says over here. The, the, sorry, the Redak says over here. He says, And if we're going to go ahead and we're going to explain that what they don't understand is the subsequent passage, it means, that the empty-headed one cannot understand why it is that the wicked are sprouting like grass. Grass. Koloma, in other words, she they look at the wicked people. They know that in Kriyashma and throughout Chazal, we talk about all of the negative consequences of a person who doesn't follow Hashem's ways. 
and they observe these wicked people, these Rishayim, and everything they do seems to be successful. But the Chachamim, those who are wise, they understand that the success which the which we witnessed the Rishayim experiencing in this world is not something which is eternal, and it's not something which is durable, and it's not going to last. Ultimately, it is the setup for their utter and uh, uh, utter and complete destruction. Kolomer, in other words, that the Rishayim are not, they're going to be denied any chalik, any portion whatsoever of Olam Haba, because Olam Haba is what's eternal. V'hatzlacha, and whatever success they seem to be experiencing during our lifetimes that we observe, that is the extent of the reward that they're going to receive for the few good deeds which they performed. But other than that, they're, they're, that's going to be the extent of it. This, they're going to deplete all of their uh, all of their merit by having success in this world. And that means when they move on to the next world, they will be lacking any merit whatsoever, and they will be doomed to eternity in Gehenim, I guess, or even worse. Misham lehem hakel sacharim haza, hakash baruch goes at and rewards them for what they did in this world, kidei, and the reason why hakash baruch front loads all of their reward in this world is so that sheyovdu lolam haba, that they will be destroyed in olam haba, because of the numerous uh, bad things which they went ahead and they did in this uh, in this world. So all of this is that you have to look at things from the big picture of things and don't look at it in this slice of time, today, this week, this month, this year, this decade, as you observe the Russia who seems to be succeeding, because that's not the entire picture. That's just a small slice of the picture. And you want to go ahead and make sure that you incorporate the big picture of things, which is going to be what's going to be in store eternally for those people. And eternally, what's going to be is that they are not going to experience success. Now, before we see the Malbim on this, so I just want to uh, point out that there's another commentary of the Malbim. I told you when we read the Pasuk initially that you should, sorry, um, that you should go ahead and uh, pay attention to the difference between Rishayim and Pale Oven, those who are wicked and those who are evildoers, and the metaphor of sprouting like grass versus blossoming. What was the difference between that? So the mom, again, he's like so precise in terms of his reading of words in Psukim. He says, There's a difference between those who are wicked and those who are evildoers. What's the difference between wicked and evildoers? Evildoers, who so they are evil in the sense that they're mean and nasty to other people. They can't get along with other people. The harasha and somebody who's wicked, sometimes their wickedness is the fact that they eat double bacon cheeseburgers, but they will still be very nice and walk a little old lady across the street. So it may be that they're walking across the street while they're munching on the double bacon cheeseburger, so that, but they're not poly oven, they're not evildoers, the fact that in the sense that they harm others, they're Rishayim in the sense that they just don't listen to God. In Mamlitz, Sharashayim Yovdu, 
And then David HaMelech says that the Rishayim, those who are wicked to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, so they are going to be destroyed after they go ahead and they sprout. And the evildoers, those who are evil to other people, so they are going to be destroyed after they go ahead and they blossom. So what's the idea behind that? Because the blossoming comes before the sprouting. That's the sequence. Is that correct, Mel? No? The other way? Okay, we're going to go with the correct way. By most trees. Are trees different than uh, than vegetables? Or they're all the same? All the same? Different. Different. Okay, so we're going with trees. <laughs> so he says that Paul oven, those who do uh, who are evildoers, who are who uh, who go ahead and negatively impact the lives of others, Yishmad Kodim Rasha. So those people who are lacking in Ben Adam Lechavero, they're going to be destroyed. Those who don't walk the little old lady across the street, they're going to be destroyed or even, you know, uh, uh, elbow out the little old lady when she's trying to take some cholent at the Kiddush and go ahead and they push her aside because they want some Kiddush. They want the hot dogs from the cholent. So that person who shoves aside the little old lady to get first in line for a cholent, that person will be destroyed before the Russia, before the person who eats a double bacon cheeseburger. Why? Because the Kaddish Baruch Hu doesn't like when people are harmful to his creatures. So if you want to go ahead and eat a double bacon cheeseburger and you want to offend me, God says, okay, it's not a good thing to do. It's a wicked thing to do, but that doesn't bother me as much as if you go ahead and you elbow out other people who are trying to get to the chol table and you actually take the last scoop and don't leave them with anything. So that when you harm other people or you're mean to others, that's a much worse offense. And therefore, that's why it says that the poly oven are going to die in the blossoming stage even before they go ahead and they sprout. Okay, so that is the way the um, the Radak and the Malbim, in some ways, is going to understand the Pasuk. Now, on the Pasuk itself, we say, the Malbim groups together, Pasukim Zayin Ches together, the idea of the um, what the empty-headed one and the fool are not going to be able to understand. And then the subsequent Pasuk about what's going to happen to the Rishayim, the wicked and the evildoers. So here, uh, uh, right. So the Malbim goes that and reads these two psukim together. We'll go ahead and we'll do that now for a moment. He says that Ish bar lo yeda. So he said that the empty-headed fool doesn't know, can't draw on his empirical knowledge. Vishak lo yavin, and the fool, the one who has intellectual capacity. But sometimes his taivas, his yearnings, and his lust for things gets in the way of his better judgment. So they won't understand. That when the Rishayim go ahead and they are going to sprout, that ultimately is to bring about their utter and complete destruction. Now explains the The reason why we seem to observe the success of Rashaim in this world is 
is so that ultimately for the eternity of things, they will be destroyed and you won't hear of them again. Vizos and this idea that Rishayim will get a little bit of reward in this world, which is all we know in where we are now, but the, this idea that the that Rishayim may experience success now uh, uh, in, in consideration of the couple of good things which they did do, but they're going to be an eternity of destruction. Lo yavin habar vaksil. He says there's no way, David Amal says there's no way that the empty-headed one or the fool are going to be able to comprehend that. Vizos And this represents some of the depth of God's thought in terms of how he runs the world. Shehaksil lo yavinezos. Because we don't want HaKadosh Baruch who specifically runs the world in a way which is difficult to understand, which is challenging to understand, so that, going back to what he said in the in the previous Pasuk, that Kidei Sheyeh Makam Lebechira Uleschar Vaonish. Because if things ran according to our perception of things and how we would have chosen to go ahead and run the world, so then there wouldn't be much char and onish. There wouldn't be room for reward and punishment because we would see the wicked immediately getting punished and we would see the righteous immediately getting rewarded. And in order to make sure that there's going to be choice involved in that, so this is something which Akash Baruch Hu had to structure things in a way where um, it's difficult to comprehend God's ways. Okay, then David Melch continues, and we said that on top of all of this, at the top of the pyramid, though, is Veata Marom Lolam Hashem. But you, Hashem, are exalted forever. What's the emphasis? Now, this obviously is in contrast to what we just said, that although it seems as if the world is chaotic, because the Rishayim are prospering and they're experiencing goodness and they seem to be rewarded in that tzaddikim not. But ultimately, ultimately we know that HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you are exalted and you are on top of everything. Meaning, the Radak explains that Afapi, uh, even though Shashayim Matzlichin, even though one will observe the Rishayim experiencing success, that should not lead a person to say, if the Rishayim are doing so well in this world, it must be that there's nobody overseeing, uh, there's no oversight in the world, and things are just running according to whoever is the strongest and has the most power. Like those who are lacking any belief in God conclude, their conclusion is, God obviously is not watching, he doesn't care, he's not involved or interested in what's happening in the earthly realm. Like some people, even amongst the Jewish people, sometimes conclude that that they say God doesn't see what's going on in the world. So David Amal comes along and says that that is absolutely incorrect, unequivocally, absolutely incorrect. Because the Baruch Hu oversees and the Kaddish Baruch Hu observes everything which happens in the world. But the people are surprised by this, they're astonished by this, they struggle to understand this, because how could it be that Kosh Baruch Hu is overseeing everything and watching everything when 
the world isn't running according to any what we would see what we would perceive as any equity whatsoever, any fairness whatsoever. Lefikach, so for that reason, Amar, therefore Dhamma emphasizes that despite the challenge that we have at understanding, that marum lolam Hashem, you Baruch Hu, are exalted over everything, meaning Kalomar Atarohakol. Not like the naysayers conclude that Kashbarhu who doesn't see and doesn't care and isn't interested. So we go ahead and emphasize, Davin Amalek goes ahead and emphasize in the Pasuk over here that despite the fool and the empty-headed one's inability to comprehend and understand the greatness in the depth of what's going on, we know definitively that you are exalted and you actually are there in place overseeing everything. And then he goes on to say, Hashem, because uh, surely your enemies, Hashem, your enemies will ultimately be destroyed, will perish. Uh, and all of those who go ahead and do evil, so they are going to be scattered. So here we have this idea that the, uh, who's the one who said it? The, the Radak says, that the initial two rows are there just for emphasis purposes, but we are confident that those who oppose God, so they ultimately are going to be destroyed, and there's going to be nothing left to them, and um, and they are going to be scattered. What does this mean? Explains the Malbim. So we said that, we said that in the Pasuk, we said that the enemies are going to be Yovedu, and Yispardu, they're going to be destroyed and scattered. So Yovedu Mishneofanim. So the Bible explains that Davar Mach is saying that they're going to be destroyed in two different ways. Echad, number one is Mitzad Shem Oivecha Yovedu. The very fact that they're enemies of God, they oppose God and they're anti-God, so that alone is already reason that they should be destroyed. Shaydei Shem Hashem so as a result of being enemies of God, so Hashem is going to destroy them through Hashkacha Pratis. He's going to arrange things in a way where, from behind the scenes, that they will be destroyed. And then base, number two is, that all the evil which they do is ultimately, the evildoers are going to be scattered. Because when you put a bunch of evil people together, so as you would anticipate, those who are the evildoers, we said that means that they don't get along with other people. They have a hard time um, uh, interacting with others and they harm others. So when you have a bunch of them together who are harmful to others, so they're going to have a hard, hard time getting along with one another. So being that they're going to have a hard time getting along with one another... So by the very definition, they're going to be scattered and they're, they're, the ability to converge together and combine together and to join together as a cohesive unit so that there's no there's no possibility of that. You can't put a bunch of Rishayim into a room and have them get along other than perhaps in the UN when it's anti-Israel. But outside of that, you're not going to be able to go ahead and get all these evildoers into one room and have them get along with one another. And then, va'az, be'ibud rishayim. And what ultimately, when you try and combine them together, what that's going to lead to is this battle royale, and they will be destroyed. 
So they're destroyed because HaKadosh Baruch is going to get them, and they'll be scattered because they cannot get along, and they're all going to run for the hills because nobody wants to be next to the to the, to the the other one. And then we say that, uh, but, v'tarim kir'eim karni, that you go ahead and you raise my horn like that of a wild ox, and I am saturated with fresh oil. So here we say, now, Dabar uh, Mach uh, switches from the fate of the Rishayim to the fate of the Tzadikim. And he says, uh, yeah, he says that uh, the Radak explains that Dibar HaMeshor Al-Lashon called Tzadik V'Tzadik. That the the um, the Davramelch is now addressing the 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 songwriter is now addressing what each of the tzaddikim are going to say. When they observe the rishayim, the wicked people who are enemies of God, destroyed and scattered. So all of the tzaddikim are going to express their thanks for the goodness. Shanasano, which was which Akash Baruchu granted those tzaddikim, the Yomar Vataram Kiraim Karni. And they're going to say that you went ahead and you lifted up my horn high, lifting up something on top of the head that universally is always seen as a crown, as a way of expressing godless, as a way of expressing greatness. And when it says that the Balosi and Ra'anan, I'm saturated with fresh oil, the Radak explains. That at the time of David Amelch, this expression of being saturated in oil means who derech masha arov That's a way of saying that I'm going to be in such luxury that rather than saying that I'll be in a, uh, a hot tub munching on bonbons or something like that. So at the time of David Amelch, so it was saturated with oil. I had enough oil that I could go ahead and I could smear it on the body to make my skin and my hair all nice and soft and smooth and silky, or something like that. And then he says, uh, oh, sorry, the, the Mablim explains, uh, yeah, he says that at that time when the Rishayim, at the time of the downfall of the Rishayim, so at that point, the horn, or the, the, uh, the uh, well, say the horn, of my success will be elevated from its lowly state, and I'll be worn out as if, and uh, I'll be, sorry, saturated with, uh, in fresh with oil. Even though I am uh, wearing out and I'm getting old, my skin, normally when a person's uh, wearing out, not wearing out, when a person is growing old, so their skin becomes less soft. But over here, this Davon says for the tzaddikim that they are going to experience softness because of the oil which is available to them. Uh, because the Kodesh Baruch Hu is going to go ahead and this is a mashal, that this is a, a, a mashal, a parable for HaKadosh Baruch Hu positively impacting the, uh, the tzaddikim. And then we say... Um, that my, I shall see the defeat of my enemies, those who look to harm me, 
And when the wicked rise up against me, come him alive, they rise up uh, upon me, mirem, those who seek ra, those who seek bad for me, tishmana aznai, my ears will hear of their downfall. In other words, now he says, here again we have um, the term vatabit. So he says, rather than re'ia, which is to look, here David Amar chooses the word vatabit. So the Mabim explains a well-known idea, but he says, with halachic implications, but he says, habato husimas leiv al hadavar. When we talk about being mabit, when we talk about gazing at something, what we're referring to is gazing at something, which means you're paying attention to what's going on. And this is what differentiates and this is the difference between the word lahabit in lirot. Lirot is just to see. Lahabit is to gaze and to comprehend what you're looking at. Which is also sometimes the word which is used when you're gazing at a distance. In the word shorai, those who look to do me harm. So that always goes together with the word lahabit, to gaze. Merachok from a distance. Liros where I am going to, from a distance, the tzadikim are going to see the downfall of the Rishayim. And that's what we come to emphasize over here. And now he says, Pasa continues, um, yeah, tzadik katamar yifrach, that the, the tzadik is going to, too much, yeah, so the, the the righteous are going to bloom like a tamar, like a date palm, and keras bavon and they're going to thrive like the like the cedar. So over here, um, the Radak explains, and we may have to hold it over here for tonight, but he says, himshilu, that the tzadikim and Klai Yisrael are equated with tamar ul eres. And this is really a chazal, but he says that the Klaiso is going to be equated with the date palm and the cedar tree. The Fishim Gavoy Mikalolanos, because these are amongst the tallest trees, at least I guess in that region. And then the Gemara and Tainus says, Ma Enoseperos. So if uh equate a Klaiso just with the cedar tree, the mighty cedar tree, some somebody might say, just like the cedar tree doesn't produce fruit. Uh, I might think Klayusa also does not produce fruit. Therefore, it says that no Klayusa are going to be like a date palm, which produces dates. And if we go ahead and we equate Klayusa with the cedar tree and the date palm, which if those trees are uprooted, so nothing is going to grow in its place if you cut it off by the trunk, so it's not going to regenerate. I might think that if Klai Yisrael, parts of Klai Yisrael are cut off, that they're not going to regenerate. Talmud Lomar, therefore the next passage goes on to say, that we are planted in the house of Hashem. And that means that, that we're always going to be there, and a, a sapling is something which always indicates that there's a long future of growth which is there. And then in the next passage it also says that uh, uh, the eras is Balvanon Yisgeh. It's like the cedar in Lebanon. So why did we go ahead and we mention the Levanon? 
It's not referring to Lebanon, the country that we would talk about, but it's actually referring to a forest in Eretz Yisrael. And it's talking about in the reality that in the time of David Amalek, if you wanted cedar, so you would go to that Lebanon forest. Then it says Yisgeh, that it's going to thrive, meaning, where'd it go? Yigdal v'yifrach. It's going to grow and it's going to sprout. Valrov hagadol, and because of the greatness and the vastness and the expansiveness, Yomar Yisgeh Shunyan Haribui, it uses the term Yisgeh, which is also indicative of something which is growing and expanding in its uh, in its uh, uh, in what it occupies in the space in which it where it is. Okay, so we are going to pick it up from. We have three more psukim to go over here. And then we're going to do also the next parak, which is Sadi Gimel. There's one last paragraph. And I think with that, we will have finished um, uh, Kabbal Shabbos. All righty. Thank you, Rabbi. Thank, Thank you. you very much. All right. Shkort, everybody, for coming. Appreciate it. And we'll see.